we appreciate Brother Marty and the choir and Kim leading us this morning. Brother Steve is uh, is on vacation this weekend. His daughter was married yesterday. And by the way, I wanted to let you know the last Sunday of this month, we'll be celebrating Steve White's 20th year on our staff as our worship pastor. And so you've got, uh, what, three or four weeks, I guess, to go out and get a card and plan how you want to say thank you to him. So we'll be doing that the last Sunday of this month. But his daughter Meredith, who's his baby and his favorite, uh, having known him 20 years, I can say that because it's true. And uh, and uh, so Monisa and I drove up to up, up into North Carolina to the mountains yesterday for the wedding and enjoyed that. And uh, during the ceremony, Steve was talking about you know he and Victoria raising her and and uh, now they're giving her to to her, to her husband and. At Tarati and and uh, and he, he choked up once, but uh, I was struck by his comments about you know giving her to Roddy and standing there as part of the wedding party were his son and daughter-in-law and his daughter and son-in-law and, and the four grandchildren and now his baby his favorite's getting married and and uh, so his family's growing and that's the way it's supposed to be you know you have children they they grow up and 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 what you do with your children is you train them to be adults right. That's what we're supposed to do anyway. We, we don't have them to keep them. We, we have them. God blesses us with them to then teach them, train them, prepare them so we can then give them away and they can go on and, and have lot, live and, and have a family and make a difference in this world. And that's the way it's supposed to, supposed to work. And anytime it doesn't work that way, we say it's unhealthy, that parents haven't done their job, that we're not growing up. Same thing's true spiritually. Same thing's true spiritually. Because if you stay a child spiritually, you never grow up, you never reproduce, you never help other spiritual children become spiritual adults so they can reproduce, then you're not fulfilling your call as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what happens eventually is the family dies out. Right? Because you can't hire enough preachers to do that. So the New Testament talks a lot about the responsibility each of us have after we're saved and become spiritual infants to move through the the process of growing up to become children and teenagers and young adults and middle-aged adults and mature adults and reproduce ourselves spiritually and not only reproduce ourselves but train the ones that God uses us to impact, train them so they can then impact others. We are to reproduce ourselves continuously. It's to be a process of multiplication, a process of replication. What I want us to do today is look at some passages of Scripture that explain that process. I want to do some teaching this morning. We're going to look at three passages of Scripture. So if you get your Bibles out, please, I want you to see it in your own Bible, one in Ephesians, one in 2 Timothy, and one in Hebrews, and we'll look at them in that sequence, in that order. And today I want God's Word to teach us, to speak to us, because Jesus said not the smallest letter or stroke will pass from this Word. He said heaven and earth will fade away before his word fades away. 
His word today is what it has been in the past and what it will be thousands of years from now, what it will be forever. It is authoritative. And therefore we need to hear it and act on it. And so I want us to just let God's word speak to us today. And beginning in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians, I want us to look at the goal the very clear goal that God has given us individually and collectively as his followers, as his disciples, when it comes to this whole process of replication, this whole process of multiplying ourselves, of growing up and and having kids and training them to have kids and so on and so on. So I want us to begin in chapter 4 and look at the goal. And let me just walk you through some verses here. Starting at verse 11. He talks about how he gave some, God, through the Holy Spirit. He has given to the church. God has given to the church, to his kingdom, gifts. And, and he's not speaking here about the individual spiritual gifts that we individually have as disciples. That's a different gift. What he's talking about here is ministry positions that God has given to his church as a gift. And what it, what it says is that he's given to the church... Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So the role I feel as a pastor-teacher, this role is one of the gifts God's given to his church. Now, can I candidly say that over the years and over the centuries, one of the mistakes that we have made in our churches is that too often we have patterned our understanding of what happens in these gifts, these roles, after the his, history of the, of the Catholic Church back in the Middle Ages and before that, more so than over from what the New Testament actually teaches. There's carryover that we, we still cling to almost unknowingly, unwittingly. And what he says here is that he's given these gifts to the church for a very clear purpose. That purpose is stated in verse 12. Do you have your Bibles? Look at it. In verse 12 he says, for. This is why these gifts exist. What's what's the reason? What does he say? What does God's Word say? I'm driving us, folks. I'm I'm driving us to look at what God in His Word says. To equip. See, the function of these positions is not to do all the ministry, all the work of the church the way we sometimes have historically defined it. It is to equip whom? Who's the saints? It's all of us. It's me included. It's all of us as followers of Christ. His holy ones, his people, his chosen ones, his selected ones. You are a saint. We see because of the, the way it's used in history, we think a saint is that you know Mother Teresa that none of us can attain to. So we ignore these verses, and yet in Scripture, all of us are saints because that means simply this: you belong to God. You are holy unto God, which means you are dedicated to. You belong to Him. Everybody who follows Jesus is a saint. Now we are to grow in sainthood in holiness, but you are a saint. And so God says, here's how the church is to function. You have all of these ministry roles, and their purpose is to equip, to prepare the saints, and to prepare the saints for what? For the work of ministry. Some Bibles translate it for the work of service. And it's, it's, it, what it means is service, you render, I render to Jesus that 
is, is beneficial to others, whether it's to others individually or to others as a group. And so God says, all right, here's these ministry positions in the church, and their role is to equip the people of God so the people of God can do ministry, can do works of service that benefit others. Let's continue with the sequencing here. When that happens, he says something happens to the building up of the body of Christ. It, it, the word literally means to, to, to erect an edifice, to construct a building. So he's using an analogy. The body of Christ, the family of God, the church family, if you will, he says is like a building. And when all of God's saints are serving in a way that benefits others, guess what happens? The church of Jesus Christ, the body is built up. That edifice gets stronger and bigger and more beautiful. Because the more people that are working, the more work you can get done. Makes sense, doesn't it? And he says, and we're to keep doing that until we reach our goal. What is our goal? Well, it's found in verse 13. And there's several parts to it, but we're going to focus in a moment on the most important part. He said, till we all, till we all attain, till we achieve, till we reach, till we gain, till we get there, the unity of the faith. We, we, get the, we, we, we all arrive at the same place in our understanding of who Christ is, our understanding of the Christian faith, unity in the faith, in, 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 in Christianity, in Jesus, to the knowledge of the Son of God. We're to keep growing in our understanding of who Jesus, the Son of God, is, our, not only our intellectual knowledge but our experiential knowledge, our heart knowledge of Him, to a what? What? A mature a mature man. That, that the goal of all, all of this is for each of us individually and then all of us collective to, collectively to reach a place of spiritual maturity. And then he defines what that maturity looks like. He says, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ Jesus. I think the NIV translates that to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, there's, there's individual Greek words in the original text for measure and stature and fullness. And what it's saying is you have an instrument of measuring something. So here's a tape measure. It has inches, and then you can break that down into quarter inches, eighth inches, sixteenth inches. You can pull it out. There's a foot. This one has every 16 inches marked, so your studs, if you're building something, I can pull it out to you know, three feet and I've got a yard. We, so there's, there's, there's measurements, right? And what he says is, what is maturity? Well, you need something to measure it by. And the stature is our, how, how big does it need to be? How long does something need to be? So I have some bookshelves in my study at the house. I, I built those. And so when I built those, I needed to, Measure. I needed to know how wide the space was. I had to determine how high I wanted them, uh, all of that. And so every piece of wood, I knew exactly what length it needed to be, right? And so I measured and I cut and I put it together. And, then, and in the end, there were some bookcases. And I thought I did okay with them, not, not, not professional, not bad. did all right with them. I'm proud of them. But, but I, had to, I had to do this. Well, what he's saying here is, is in your life as a disciple of Jesus, when it comes to you being mature, you need to have the right instrument of measuring. measuring. And you need to know, 
is it 12 inches? Is it 2 feet? Is it a yard? What's the stature? What's the fullness? What's the measurement? And then what's, what are you using? What's the, what's the tape that you're using to measuring? You getting this? Does this make sense? Well, what he says here, here's how you measure your maturity. The fullness of Christ. What is Christian maturity? You becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Jesus increasingly filling you. And so when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about maturing spiritually, what, what Scripture says is we are to move in the direction of so that when someone measures us, we look increasingly like Jesus Christ. Those of us who've been saved for 50 years should look more like Jesus in our talking, in our thinking, in our attitudes, in our behavior, in our beliefs, in our priorities, in our values than someone who's only been saved two or three years. And having been a Christian now for... Um, 40-some years, I should look more like Jesus today than I did when I came here as pastor at age 29. And so should you. That's what maturity is. And so the goal, the goal of discipleship, if a church is going to be a disciple-making church, then we have to understand that the goal is not just for us to know a bunch of stuff. The goal is not just for us to do a bunch of stuff, participate in a bunch of stuff. The goal is for us to mature into Christ's likeness. Now, that's a journey that will continue all our lives. I'm not going to be fully like him until heaven. You know, I'm, I'm going to always come up a little bit short. So if you cut me, uh, there's going to be a gap. I won't totally fit. There's going to be a gap because I'm not totally there yet. Anybody here totally there yet? No. But guess what? The gap in my life today is not what it was some years ago. And the gap in your life today should not be what it was some years ago because you're getting closer to that measurement. You're getting closer to Christ. That is the goal of discipleship. And we will never be able to do discipleship effectively and biblically until we understand this, until we own this, until we accept that, and we say, yes, that's the goal, that's the measurement. It's Christ-likeness. That's the reason in our D groups we're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon they ever preached. If I want to know how Jesus thought, that's a great place to start. Maturity in Christ. So it's important we be able to define maturity. Last Sunday in the 1030 service, there was a young guy, Kedrick, I think he's 18, just graduated high school, and, and this this. December will be going to boot camp. I think he's, I think he's going into the Marines. And uh, Kedrick was down here praying, rededicating his life to Jesus last Sunday. And his dad, Cedric, came down, got on his knees beside his son, put his arm around him, was praying with his boy. And then as the invitation continued, I looked, and then I saw Steve White walk over and pray with them. And then I continued, we, we kept singing, and, and I watched Glenn Willis walk down the aisle and come down and join these guys and put his arms around them and pray with them. See, those guys are all in a D group together, studying the Word of God together, 
praying together. And they were comfortable. They were comfortable to do that because some of you would not be comfortable enough to walk down this aisle and put your arm around somebody and pray with them as the Spirit prompted you because there's a need and room for growth in your life because that's exactly what Jesus would do, isn't it? See, that's what maturity is. It's moving. If, if I just stay where I am and the measure, measurement of my life is never getting close to, closer to filling the gap, then I'm not growing the way I need to grow. That's what discipleship is, and that's the goal of it. Now, real quickly, if we're going to accomplish that, we need to have a, a strategy, but not just a strategy, one that is effective. So let's look at the second passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this may have been the last book the Apostle Paul ever wrote because he's in prison in, in Rome and it's not like the first letter because we think he probably was released after that one, then was rearrested under Nero and executed as a martyr for the faith, beheaded under Nero, and just before that wrote Second Timothy. And, and he says to Timothy, here's something I want you to do, Timothy, as you, as you fulfill your ministry. Now, Timothy was a preacher pastor, okay? And Paul says, here's what I want you to do. Chapter 2, verse 2. He said, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, everything you know about God, everything you know about Jesus, everything you've learned about the faith, the things you've learned about the Word of God, you are to entrust these to others. That's a banking term, to deposit. It literally means to bring something and present it, to put it right in front of somebody, just to lay it down, to place it right in front of them. You're not to just keep it to yourself. Everything you've learned, Timothy, everything you know about the Word of God, you, you are to present, you are to sit down, you are to put it, lay it in front of others. Not just so they can know it, Look at the verse. So once they know it, they can do what? They can pass it on to others. Do you see the reproducible nature of that? How it's an ongoing process of replication that never stops? See, the strategy that God has given the church is not just to have the best preacher in the world and the best Sunday school teachers in the world and, and you sit in the worship service and listen to the preaching. Then you go to a smaller crowd, but still a crowd, called a Sunday school class and listen to a teacher and you, you hear and you hear and you hear and you hear, you listen, you listen, you take in, you take in. That is not the discipleship process of a New Testament church. There's a place for that. It matters. We're a Sunday school church. We're not changing that. But most of you, when you leave Sunday school, are not able to reproduce in conversation with others what you were taught that morning, can you? Because the process is not reproducible. You might be able to pick up bits and pieces of it and do that. Some of us who are more developed in our biblical understanding 
could do more of that maybe. But the average church member has a very difficult time taking this sermon. I can, listen, I'll ask my wife something about the sermon over lunch, and she'll say, what? So I know you don't get all of it. Not going to hurt my feelings. I understand that. What did you think of that story, sweetie? She said, what, what, I don't, I, what story? I've been humbled. I get it. But disciples who make disciples, there has to be a strategy. There has to be a process that is that can be repeated, that is reproducible, or we're not doing the job as well as we need to do the job. You know, when it comes to, I did a little, little reading. I'm not a trained educator, so I did a little reading. Um, I had an understanding, but the, but the research that I read clarified it for me. When I was looking at the best practices for teaching and learning, and you know what the research is consistent on? Is the, the best practices for anybody to learn something is through participation. That if they don't participate, they don't learn as well. Now, here, here, here's how you do it. All right, well, now, here, you take the tape, tape measure, and, and you, you measure it, and you mark. All right? Now, you, you get that square and draw the line so you can have a straight cut. Now, here's the, the skill saw or the table saw. Now, you cut. Until they do it, until, until they participate, they don't really get it. Participatory learning, teaching. It's head and shoulders above every other form of learning. And also important is collaboration where they're working together at it, not just alone. And then another important part is the students have to accept responsibility for learning because, you see, teachers know this, that if a, that if a student doesn't want to learn, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't make them learn. And if you don't want to learn, there's nothing I can do to make you learn. If you don't want to grow, there's nothing I can do to make you grow. You have to own responsibility for your spiritual development, for your spiritual maturing in Christ, or it's never going to happen. Those are the keys to learning. And that's why I love the model we're going to be using with discipleship. I wish it's so simple. It's not New, it's ancient. I just wish I'd known about it years ago or understood it a little better. So you've got, you've got four or five men, four or five women reading the same five chapters of Scripture in the New Testament that week. God's speaking to them. They make a note in a journal about what God said to them, what they learned, what he, how, he, how he encouraged them, how he convicted them, how he taught them something. And then we sit down together, the four or five of us, once a week, and we go chapter by chapter. What did God say to you in chapter 4? What did God say to you in chapter 5? And you know what I've learned? Having worked with two groups like that since January, meaning every week since January, here's what I've learned. is it's, it's men who in the beginning struggled to understand what they were reading, who struggled to actually hear God, who weren't necessarily all that comfortable talking in a group about spiritual things and about Scripture. There's not a person in any of our groups right now that has any problem with any of that. 
Why? Because through the participation and the collaboration and the work of the Holy Spirit, every one of those men now are comfortable to read the Word of God, hear from God, and then talk about it. And how are we ever going to reproduce ourselves? How are we ever going to do evangelism? How are we ever going to win our neighbors and relatives and friends to Jesus Christ if we're not even comfortable talking about the very Word of God because we don't read it or we don't understand it or we're not familiar with it or we don't know even how to do it? And this process helps us learn how to do it in a very non-threatening, encouraging, loving manner. Well, i got to run on because I'm running out of time. Other than to say I hope you'll come to the uh, D group training. And by the way, I do want to point one thing out before I look at the last point. In Vision 21, there's a paragraph on growing disciples because one of our reasons for existing is to make disciples. And the very last sentence in this paragraph in our vision for growing disciples says, and I quote, I think I put it on the screen for you. Yeah, there it is. Is that uh, the outcome. Here's the goal. This is what we're looking for. Is that members be able to spiritually feed themselves as mature disciples. That you be able to feed yourself. You be able to read the Word of God. You be able to talk about the Word of God. Because until you are able to also feed yourself, you're always dependent on someone else being there in some manner to get any spiritual nourishment. And that's not the healthiest way to live. All right, the last one, Hebrews chapter 5. Third point is this, we have a tool to use. God says, now the goal is maturity, look, become more like Jesus. The strategy is, is, to, is, is the Bible, the, the strategy is, is, is to be able to, to take the Word of God and, and understand it and share it with others and share it with others and just keep reproducing, keep reproducing, keep reproducing. Now here's the tool found in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, concerning him, concerning Jesus, we have much to say. There's, there's more I want to teach you, he says, but it's hard. Hard to explain it, hard for you to understand it. Why? Because you're dull of hearing. Or the NIV says you no longer try to understand. You're not putting forward the effort. Dull of hearing. Verse 12. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, he said, you've been believers, disciples, followers of Jesus. You've been saved long enough that you should know. Now, 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 now listen, none of us know everything about the Word of God. I don't know everything. None of us do. But he's saying to these believers, you have been following Jesus long enough that by now you ought to be able to take the Word of God and teach other people stuff. Now that doesn't mean you stand in front of a church and preach like me or you stand up in front of a Sunday school class and teach 30 or 40 people, but you ought to be able to take the Word of God and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody about what the Word of God says because you know it. 
You ought to be able to take the Word of God and sit down with your children and grandchildren and talk about what the Word of God says. Not just lecture them, but get the Bible out and help them understand it because you understand it. And one of the reasons as parents sometimes and grandparents sometimes we don't do that is because we don't know how to feed ourselves. He said, you still need somebody to teach you the basics. And I don't have time to get into what all those basics are. He said, you still, you're on milk, not solid food. You remember as, as a parent how excited you were when your baby could start eating food from the plate? Now it got messier. But you knew until that happened they weren't going to grow the way they needed to, right? That's, they, they, they can't be 20 years old and still sucking on a bottle. Well, spiritually, the author of this book is saying some of you have been saved long enough but now you're adults and, and you should be adults and you should be teaching but you still, you still are on the bottle. You still need milk because even now you're not able to eat solid food from the plate. There's a pretty clear picture he's defining here. Verse 13, he said, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word... Of righteousness for he's an infant he said notice this if you're still on milk if you're not able to eat food from the plate food from the table you're still a baby Christian spiritually in many ways because you are not accustomed you don't know how to handle how to deal with the word every believer needs to be able to eat from the word of God on Monday morning when you're at home by yourself. And he says in verse 14, solid food is for the mature. That's what we talked about in Ephesians. Who because of, now this is an important word, practice, or the NIV says constant use. How do you learn to do something? By doing it over and over and over, Right? The more you the more you do something, the more you more comfortable you the more familiar the better you are at doing it. So I'm I'm gonna tell you. For some of you, if you get in a D group the first few weeks, you may not be totally comfortable because you haven't had a lot of practice. You haven't had the practice of sitting down and reading a chapter of God's Word a day. You've, you've not had much practice of reading the Bible and saying, God, show me something. Speak to me as I read this. And then actually taking a journal and writing two or three, four sentences about what God said to you. And then talking about it. But guess what? As you practice, as you do it, all of a sudden the Word of God, it just starts coming alive and God starts speaking. Isn't that right, brother? But until you get in there and say, because, well, you know, when I built those shelves, there were a few boards I threw away. <laughs> I remember years ago, the first time I tried to build shelves, they leaned. <laughs> I had to learn, right? So don't beat yourself up. But you got to do it to learn how to do it. And that's what I'm, I'm encouraging 
brothers and sisters, you to do because I, I want you to be a mature follower. I, I want you to be able to reproduce yourself. I want you to be able to, to have impact on your grandkids. I, I want you to be able to have an impact on your neighbors and your club members and your friends and your classmates. And I, I want you to be a disciple that Jesus uses to make other disciples that make a difference in this world. Pretty simple. Well, out of time. Has God's word said anything to you this morning? Now, I know I'm hammering this week after week, aren't I? I, I, I know I am. I get that. But that's how important this is. And, 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 and brothers and sisters, it's what we want for each other. It's what we need. And it doesn't mean a D group's the only way you can get this. Some of you have gotten it over the years. You know how to do this. But you're not passing it on to anybody. And the goal is not just for you to get it. The goal is for you to pass it on. So what is your process for doing that? And if you don't have a better one than the one I'm talking about, then join the one I'm talking about. Because you've got to pass it on. Let's stand and the team's leading us in singing our hymn of invitation. Make your way to the altar. Some are coming this morning to join our church. Some to kneel here at the altar and pray. Some of you want to pray with somebody. So you come and you do that.